This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I've worked extremely hard um, to not only get back but improve and try and be better than I ever have been. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's been a long time. It's been a long time in that cave. Putting yourself back together. I had a great team around me for the entire process, a great support system. Um, and it's going to be special. Like I say, it's been a long time. Mentally, it's tough to to stay in it when, it's, when it had been year after year after year. Um, especially when you started out so fast and, you know, I had all the, the goals of Jerry Rice and, and all these things and you're slowly just, you know, crushed by injury. It's just hard to mentally um, and spiritually stay strong throughout all of it. But I felt like this one, you know, when, when I got to Exos, they had my name, Odell Beckham Jr., ACL Rehab, and I told them to change it to spiritual reconstruction. You know what I mean? It's, this is just my, my soul that I need to work on. And I found that I'm just in a way better place. My energy, the way that I approach a situation, the way that I approach um, anything that goes on, I just have a positive outlook on it. Uh, and it changes everything. You know, I come out here, it was a gloomy day, and I come out here and then the sun starts shining, you know. It's just about, it's about how you look at it. I just, I got a different, uh, I have a different aura about me at the moment. Okay, that was beautiful. That was deep. That was yeah. profound. Um... I can't tell you, Michael, how much I enjoyed seeing and hearing from Odell Beckham Jr., who is on course to make his season debut after 10 and a half, almost 11 months um, ago, tearing his ACL set to debut against Chicago. Michael, I got to tell you, man. And listen, let me full disclosure in the interest of transparency, okay? I spend an inordinate amount of time staring at my fantasy football roster, (laughs) hoping that something will magically change, trying to figure out the next transaction or trade that I could make to improve my awful team. And I happen to have had Odell Beckham in my IR spot until this week. So I do have a dog in this fight. I do have a vested interest. Okay. I, I have skin in this game. Uh, Odell Beckham returning triumphantly and balling out for my fantasy team. But this is honestly, I want to have a conversation about reality. I just want to get that out there. Cause that, that's what got me thinking about Odell the way that I'm thinking about him now. And then hearing him talk to the local media for the first time in forever, it just got me to thinking like, and I feel quite comfortable saying this to Odell Beckham. If he should happen to be tuning in right now. I missed you, my guy. We missed you. We all missed you. Michael, you talked about this week's biggest story. Week three's biggest story for you, I believe, is Justin Fields and his debut. 
yeah. as starting quarterback yeah. of Chicago yeah. Bears. I would say that outside of the fantasy football community, uh, that from what I could tell, one of the most underplayed stories is on the opposite side of this matchup is the return of one of the most gifted players we've ever seen. Like, not do you remember that's not an exaggeration. what Odell Beckham really was not. when he burst onto the scene? He was on, and he mentioned it, he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory, okay? He was on his way to going down as one of the greatest receivers ever, and then he fractured the ankle in 17. Giants traded him after 18. Didn't quite click with Mayfield in 19. And tore his ACL in 20. And a guy who was setting records to begin his career for the first, you know, three years of his career says that he's back and maybe better than ever and better between the ears. Listening to him talk about spiritual reconstruction, listening to him talk about putting yourself back together, you know, just what it took mentally, especially after being traded uh, struggling or, or not being the focal point, if you will, his first year in Cleveland, all the things he's heard, all the things I'm sure he's read, all the people have said, all that people have said. Um, and I'm just so happy that he's back just as a fan. Because, Michael, there was a point in time when regardless of position, Odell Beckham was in the conversation for best player in the game in terms of just pure ability just in terms of pure brilliance, just in terms of his dynamic athleticism, okay? And it's not over for him. So he says, we'll see. And he smiled when he said, we'll see, as he walked off. It wasn't like, a, uh, yeah. we'll see. I mean, look, he's practicing in full. He's talking to the media. He was like, so I think the question to him specifically was, uh, what would have to happen between now and Sunday for you not to play. And he gave that, eh, we'll see. Like, <laughs> you know, Dak Prescott's probably got it sewed up. Um, but I think Odell Beckham, before it's all said and done, has a, a real opportunity to be in the comeback player of the year conversation. And not just come back, but the idea that he could be better than he was before. And keep in mind, look, I know people think I just hate on Eli Manning. I don't. I told you, I raised him. I taught him how to be clutch in high school. You know, that I, I like to did. think that but my you had to beat him, had victory over him in high school. But you had to humble him, though. You had to humble him to teach him. Yeah, I, I, like you I told to you, I, I think I set him on, for him on, to on the course. Yeah, but think about what Odell did with an aging and declining Eli Manning. And like I said, didn't click immediately with a young Baker Mayfield. I can't wait, man. I can't wait for the show. I cannot wait. I'm just so happy as a fan to see this young man who at times has gotten a raw deal. You know, I've been an older, and it's, it's, look, I'm biased. It's, it's a New Orleans thing. It's a 504 thing. You know, I'm biased. He's gotten yeah, a raw yeah. deal at, at points over his career. But I'm telling you, man, I'm just so excited to see him take the field again and maybe take the game by storm once again. Mike, in another life, for those who don't know, in another life, I used to be a columnist. I used to be a sports columnist. And every now and then, you know, I moved on, but every now and then I get these trimmers. 
I, I, get, I get something stirring in my soul that reminds me of the life that I used to have. And sometimes I miss it. And today was one of those days that I missed it, listening to Odell Beckham Jr. Because you, know you know how it is as a columnist, uh, as a beat writer, as somebody who is covering a particular sport, somebody will give a press conference and they'll say so there'll be a phrase or there'll be like a little passage that gets your attention. Michael. And you'll want to do what, what, Michael, what you want to do. Listen, listen. What? When I put this in the what? feed, when I put this in my feed, you know, I don't usually reference my feed. I let it speak for itself. Yeah. I knew that I had you at spiritual reconstruction. I know my guy. I know my guy. And when he said spiritual reconstruction, you'd have been you'd have been typing out a sermon. I know my I know my guy. Not only that. I know that spoke to you. Not only that. Not only that. Oh yeah, it did speak to me. But you know what? If I'm there, if I'm there, you said, you know, speaking to the local media, he says that now the competitive believe it or not, it's a nerdy competitiveness in the in the sports journalism game. So it, it ain't like uh, putting your body out there on the line and, and trying to beat somebody, trying to wear them down physically. The competitive competitiveness is, hey, did they get that? You look at you look to the left, look to the right. Did they hear what I heard? Did they see what I see, what I saw? And you write down a little something and you think to yourself, ooh, wait till I get him one-on-one because I want a little bit more information there. And what I want, Mike, mm-hmm. is how did he get to that place? How did he get there? Mm-hmm. How did he... How did he get to the place where, as you pointed out, he's on this great career, you know, a, a, a top of the first round, top half of the first round draft pick of the New York Giants out of LSU. Immediately goes to New York and balls out after like a little bit of like injury concerns in the beginning. I think hamstring, like right off, the, right off, the, right off the jump, uh, training camp. Yeah. But then he got going, and it was amazing. So this guy, how does he go? Oh yeah, no, he missed the first four games. He's going to be year. one of the best players. Yeah, how, how does he yeah. how does he go from thinking he's going to be one of the best players uh, the league has ever seen to, hey, I'm in a better place now. Don't put that injury next to me. Put down spiritual reconstruction. I have a different perspective. It's a gloomy day now. The sun's out. It's all the way you look at things. I mean, that's right. I agree with all that stuff, but I want to know process. How did he get yeah. there? Was it a how conversation with somebody? Yeah. Um, is it just that he realizes his own mortality? I mean, that, that might be the simple answer. Maybe it's something deeper, but I'm with you. I'm looking forward to seeing him do his thing. And it would be, you want to just go with a nice little story that nobody would believe because it's just too good to be true. It would be Odell Beckham Jr. struggling the last few years, waiting a long time to get on the field and then getting on the field and bawling out at the same time, he's doing it for the Cleveland Browns, who have waited much longer than he has <laughs> to get to a high level. Never been to a Super Bowl. It has been uh, almost. What was it? Let me see. My, my math is right. Been about yeah, about almost 35 years, 33, 34 years since they went to their last conference championship game. Forget about the Super Bowl, but they haven't been to the conference championship game since the 1980s, late 1980s. So to have these two stories running together to achieve something that we haven't seen before, that would be great. So I'm, I'm rooting for him, his, his redemption song, and also the redemption song of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I mean, people for so long wanted him to grow up. Uh, he's 28 years old. And I think we just heard. He? 
Have I but, grown what, up? What yet? we just heard? Have I grown up yet? Was just that. No, you know I haven't. But what we right. heard was just that. What we heard right. from him today was evolution, was maturation. Um, you know, Dave Gettleman shipped him out of town, thinking that the team would be better without Odell Beckham. That the best thing for the New York Giants was to move on from Odell Beckham, who they had just paid. And yeah. Even though at the time I was like, oh, this is great for Beckham because Baker at that point versus Eli at that point was an upgrade. Um, and then he goes to Cleveland, doesn't hit the ground running, and of course gets hurt the next year. I mean, that had to shake him. And just seeing him say what he said today, look, again, going back to the just the the numbers and the fantasy perspective, like even if dude doesn't come back and put up the same kind of numbers he he used to. I mean, it's a different offense. They got different weapons in Cleveland. They got the two running backs. They got tight ends. Stefanski's, you know, different than who was it, Gilbride at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he could be a better person, a better player, a better teammate than he's ever been. And that's a success story. So I don't, I don't know that this comeback can necessarily be measured statistically. It's the fact that he's out there performing is just a gift to the league, man. And I'm I just just watching him, yeah, it moved I'm me. I'm, I'm proud of him. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for us as, as fans that we get to watch this performer do his thing again and maybe do it better than he's ever done. You mentioned Collins, Michael Holly. I'm going to go ahead and pivot. Because, you know, I mean, his career could be one big what if, and I beg your pardon on the what ifs because I just watched the latest edition of what if on uh, on Disney Plus. Um, but it could be the latest. It could be his career is one big what if in terms of what he had in New York, mm. getting traded, mm. getting hurt. You know, right now it's a what if. What if his career had not been derailed uh, or interrupted uh, by injury? Twenty years ago, the Earth shifted on its axis. Twenty years ago today. The sports world, as we know it, changed forever. History was changed forever. And I don't think it's an understatement to say that both our lives and careers were changed forever. Thanks to Drew Bledsoe scrambling uh, in a week two game against the New York Jets. Here it is, right here. Here it is. Not getting out of bounds before Mo Lewis could level level a devastating hit on him that to this day, Patriots who were in the area remember the sound of that hit. Yeah. In comes a quarterback who had thrown, I believe, three passes as a rookie, completed one of them. The six-round pick who in 2000 was the fourth-string quarterback Behind Bledsoe, John Freeze, and Michael Bishop. The the six-round pick who fell famously to pick 199, and thanks to the late quarterback coach Dick Rabine standing on the table for him, gets picked by the New England Patriots. And he comes into that game, and, and I'll let you handle the part about what would have happened eventually anyway. I'll let you handle that part. Yeah, yeah. He comes into that yeah, game. Yeah. They lose that game anyway. They start 0-2. They eventually start 1-3. Get to 5-5. Five and five. 
Belichick sticks with him controversially at the time, never lose again. The rest is history. I'd love to know what you wrote that night, if you you did write that night, but I know where I was that night. Our guy, Don Squar at the Boston Globe, dispatched me to Mass General that night. And I had been kind of friendly with Brady, as much as you could be friendly with a New England Patriots player in a t- at a time when pre-internet and pre... There, I mean, there was less access to Patriots players than there is now, okay? So I was friendly with Brady because I was the young guy. Uh, at first, I was the intern in the summer of 2000 and the backup beat writer in 2001. So I was young. He was young. I talked to him because the veterans weren't... Bledsoe wasn't talking to me. The four-stringer would, right? I remember pulling right, up to Mass yeah. General... And I'm walking in or trying to walk in to get the scoop on how bad Bledsoe's injury is. Out walks Tom Brady, a young Tom Brady. And I don't remember exactly how I asked him what was going on. He didn't give me much because, as you know, he couldn't. Little did I know, or most people on the outside knew, that Bledsoe was near death because a, a, a yeah, blood vessel had life. been sheared and his chest cavity had filled with blood. Yeah. But I, I say all that to say, Michael, it's like, if not for... Bledsoe taking off, Bledsoe not getting out of bounds, Mo Lewis not hitting him as hard as he did. You could tell me what would have happened regardless, and, and you know that, but who knows how the season would have played out if not for one thing being different. And from my perspective, you never know what you're witnessing when you're witnessing it or who you're talking to right, right. when you're talking to them. Because that moment sent my career as a Patriots beat writer on a different trajectory because they became a dynasty. And of course, we all know how many books you ended up authoring uh, as a result of Mo Lewis leveling uh, Drew Bledsoe. So that whole season, what a career was born today. That whole season, the greatest, the greatest, the greatest quarterback of all times career started Officially, officially, it started draft day 2000. In reality, it started 20 years ago today. It started September 23rd, uh, 2001. And, and the thing is, that whole season could have been a what if. Uh, not necessarily a Disney version. Disney would say, this is not realistic. Not only that moment with Mo Lewis, but fast forward. And I'll come back to that moment in a second. But fast forward to uh, a game in Buffalo. You remember this. You probably covered this game. A game in Buffalo... Uh, where the late David Patton, rest in peace, had taken a hit. He was unconscious on the sideline, and he fumbled. And initially, the play was ruled a fumble. But as they looked at it closer, they said, even though he's unconscious, he's out of bounds. Still Patriots football. They win that game. That was a critical game. (laughs) They needed to win. Mm. What happens if the ball had been spotted correctly in Pittsburgh after a, I think it was a Josh Miller punt, which allowed Troy Brown to run right up the middle mm. in Pittsburgh in mm. the AFC Championship game. Who knows we, what would have happened if the not tuck with rule? the tuck rule. The tuck yeah. rule. Yeah, I mean, out of military. It was a tuck rule. <laughs> I mean, yeah. all, I mean yeah. on and on. Yeah. But all back to that, back to that play, back to that season, that 2001 season. Now, in 2000, as you pointed out, he was a fourth quarterback. Uh, he was after Drew Bledsoe, John Freeze. Um, a kid named Michael Bishop, Michael Bishop, training camp superstar, Michael Bishop. And then there was Tom Brady. So imagine an NFL team keeping four quarterbacks. You never hear that four quarterbacks, no practice squad back then. It's just he's their fourth quarterback on their roster. Crazy. 
But he goes, and then in the offseason, they signed Drew Bledsoe, and then they signed Damon Hewitt to big money. So they had big money tied up in their top two quarterbacks. They still didn't see Tom Brady coming after spending the 2000 season with them. He went from fourth And signed Drew Bledsoe. Hold on. Signed Drew yeah, Bledsoe to, to at the time, the only $100 million dollar court, record, uh, record. contract in the league, right? Yeah, yeah. 10 years, $103 million. Signed to a record contract. So he goes from fourth in the 2000 season has a has a preseason better than any quarterback on the roster goes from fourth to second. So Damon Hewitt now the third quarterback, even though he got paid as a backup, he's now the third quarterback. And the coaches tell each other, look, uh, we think our best quarterback is the kid, Tom Brady. He's our best, but we just signed Drew Bledsoe to a hundred three million dollar contract. What are we gonna do? So yeah, Brady actually outplayed Bledsoe. In that 2001 preseason, but Bledsoe was the franchise quarterback. That just would have been a major controversy. Eventually, though, Mike, I think that because the team was so bad at the beginning of the 2001 season, as you said, starting off one and three, and and one of those lo- that third loss was with Tom Brady. But the team was so bad that Bledsoe Miami. was going to be replaced. They buried eventually. the ball. Yeah. My, my, Miami. Yeah. They, they he was eventually going to be replaced. Yeah. So yeah. Tom Brady would be there, but who knows how the story would, I mean, he would have taken over, but who knows if the story would have been the same. Who knows it's when? really one of the greatest dramas uh, in sports history. It tells you a lot about life, too. And, and, and here's the final thing. You asked me, hey, what did I write that night? I'll tell you what I wrote that night. Nothing. Why? Because that day, September 23rd, 2001, that was the final column Part one, <laughs> part one of my career with the Boston Globe. That was the final column of my career with the Boston Globe. You in Chicago? I went to Chicago. I was not in Chicago yet, but that was the final column. That was my goodbye, Boston. That same day, that same morning. Goodbye, Boston. So you Thank were, you for everything. So you weren't at that game I'm going with to me? Chicago. So you weren't at that game uh, in Foxborough with me? Was that at that game? No, I watched that game. I was. I didn't go. I didn't go. Hey, man, I was going Here's to Chicago. I finally had a Sunday. Wait, I finally had a Sunday the other, off for the, other, the first time in a decade. Here's the other backdrop of this game. Here's the other thing. If, if my memory serves, you know your memory, even though you're 10 years older, your memory is better than mine. Here's the other uh, uh, nine, context nine. of this game. If I'm not mistaken, first game after 9-11. Because 9-11 yes. happened the day after the Bengals game. They opened against at Cincinnati. Correct. I flew back from Cincinnati right. to Boston. My dad, whose birthday is today, by the way, my dad, Michael Smith, hey. he... Hey, yep. Mike, uh, the original birthday. Michael Smith. Thank you. His he called me in the morning of 9-11 to ask if to see if I was OK, if I was alive because, you know, planes took off from Logan Airport. So he didn't know where I was, but I was in Cincinnati the day before. No games the following weekend. And this was the game, if I'm not mistaken, that Joe Andrewsy ran out with the yes. American flag. This was That's the right. first game right. in Foxborough post 9-11. So there's that. Correct. Um, so again, I, nothing as we know it might would, would be the same. Probably, you know, if they don't win the Super Bowl that year, you know, Belichick was not a popular coach in the media and among the fans. At that point, I think he fell to five and thirteen after that Jets five game. Thirteen after that loss. Uh, combined in two thousand two thousand one. Yeah. Let me read you a couple of quotes. I know we over time. Um, I, I think you'll love this though. So I was reading that Jeff Howell story in the Athletic. This, this is like, you know, it's like, wow, you look back, it's like he was always this guy, you know, he always had it. So this is our guy, Damian Woody. 
He said Tom was kind of a jerk in practice. He used another word jerk in practice. To be honest with you, there were certain things that our defensive coaches wanted the scout team to do. Tom was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not creating bad habits for myself trying to service you guys. It was frustrating to a lot of defensive guys because Tom was out there diagnosing processing, making things happen against our defense. But at the same time, a lot of guys respected him. Romeo Cornell, Rack, on the scout team, he would take what the defense gave him, or he would throw it to an open guy. But we wanted him to throw it where we thought we needed the most work on the coverage. He didn't always give us the work, and he would talk about, well, this guy was open. So that's why I threw it to him. He understood what we were trying to do defensively and where he needed to try to go with the ball. Classic. Classic. And here we are. A, a little more than a week out from him going back to where it all started. 20 years ago, everything changed. Everything changed. The, the sports history as we know it, it changed. It really did. And a postscript to that, a postscript, another uh, Mo Lewis at Boston story was after that fact. So Mo Lewis never really, he was a good player for the Jets. Uh, really, really uh, interesting guy, bright guy. And he kind of kind of resented the fact that his name always came up as, hey, he's the guy who hit Drew Bledsoe and, and spawned the career mm-hmm. of Tom Brady. So it really, mm-hmm. it really, uh, really bothered him. He had a lot of things going on and it just kept coming back to that hit. Mo Lewis had a son, Chris. And Chris Lewis wound up in Boston <laughs> where his father left off Chris Lewis went to Harvard. He's a Harvard basketball player, Harvard graduate, and uh, and he, he tells great stories about Mo. So Mo, uh, that's not your only story. You got an Ivy Leaguer, Harvard basketball team. You had another Boston story, and it's a lot bigger than your hit on Drew Bledsoe. Uh, that's awesome. That's a great. That's a great footnote. That's a great postscript. I'll tell you, man. I've never heard from the fact that it was right place, right time for me. I mean, I, this is, out of college, I'm at the Boston Globe covering the Patriots. They go on to win the Super Bowl my first year. I'm in New Orleans covering the Super Bowl. I'm back home in New Orleans covering the Super Bowl less than a year after graduating college. And Crazy. because I'm with, I'm covering this team, people are reading my stuff. And that's how I ended up on ESPN. And you're covering, this, you're covering the Super Bowl and you're having breakfast with Don Shula and Bill Belichick and forgetting about it. Allegedly. No, it happened. I got pictures. Rich, you've been around sports long enough. Yes. Guys, I'm never coming back. I don't want to come back. And then the next thing you know, they're back. Um, and so, you know, we don't take it lightly. Uh, we do understand um, the frustrations. We understand, uh, and you understand this when you're in sports and uh, you have your dream of winning something and it doesn't happen for you. Uh, the mental toll that that takes on you and each individual. And so this has happened more than, than we know, uh, than you know, I would say. Um, but, yeah, so we don't take it lightly, but we intend to get Ben back, and, and we wanted that, to have him back. One of the things I kept reminding Ben of and I remind fans of is that Trey Young was 5 for 24 in Game 7. Uh, he wasn't 5 for 24 because no one was guarding him. He was 5 for 24 because Ben guarded, you know, and Ben has a value, Rich, um, to the team that is not as obvious as being a great scorer. 
you know, it's so easy to look at a guy, he had 30 points, and you can equate that value to the team. It's very difficult to see the value that Ben Wallace has or Dennis Rodman has or Charles Oakley has or Ben Simmons has on the team because he's, he doesn't score uh, as natural as some of the great guys, but he does so many other things for our team. So where does everything stand right now? What's your game plan here, if it is in fact true as part of the Woj bomb that you, that that there's been no communication since since he told you his intention to stay away from training camp? Well, there's been no communication over the last couple of weeks, um, but we we still talk to his agent. Um, uh, several players still talk to him, uh, to Ben. Um, you know, I always look at, you know, you, you use Aaron Rodgers as an example. I, I remember the, the Spurs trading Sean Elliott you know, and the physical fail. And he said, I'll never play again there. Um, he comes back and they win the title together. Hmm. So as you know, and I know things can change, but we just got to keep communicating and, and getting through to them and maybe we can change. And then the other part of it is Ben does have a four-year deal. So this is all really in the team's hands on what we want to do. And we're just going to do what we feel is right for the team. And I think that's the most important part. And that is to keep Ben Simmons right now. Yes. Okay. Right now. Mike. Hey, Mike. You know, I was thinking about this, man. I've thought about this today. Um, so this comment says, Ben Simmons should be ashamed of what he's making Doc Rivers and the Sixers do. And everybody's got their own take on it. Everybody's got their own spin. Some people are, are pro-Sixers, anti-Ben. Some people are pro-Ben, but not as many. Pro-Ben and anti-Sixers. I think the Sixers are probably getting most people on their side, so to speak. But that's not really where I want to go. This is where I want to go. Who approved this? Who, who, who rubber-stamped this? Who said, okay, give that the green light? All right, bro, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Hey, Doc, this is what you do. Here's the formula. Doc, you're so good with the media. Doc, you're good. You're good, man. You're special. You got a gift, and he does. This is what I want you to do. Whoever you go on with, especially if you go on with um, somebody who's been in the sports media for a long time, you kind of talk to them as if y'all are on equal fit, equal footing. So, for example, Rich Eisen, our brother Rich Eisen, and Rich Eisen show. Hey, hey, Rich. I mean, you've been in this for a long time. Rich, you know. I mean, you've covered sports for a long time, covered some of the biggest events, some of the best players in the game. Yeah, you, gotta, you, you gotta, know you how this goes. You got to lay it on thick. Yeah, yeah. you, hey, now you know. Like, a lot of people don't know. Yeah. A lot of people don't know, but Rich, yeah. you know. All right, so you, you make that person feel like, hey, they're in. You know, they're behind that velvet rope. So bring them in here. You tell them things happen in sports. And, oh, yeah, we always hear it all the time. And, Ben, I've always, I didn't say that. By the way, this media narrative has gotten out of control. I didn't say that. What I was saying was this, and Ben knows that. Ben, no, Ben don't know nothing. Ben don't know nothing, Doc. That's why he doesn't want to play in Philadelphia anymore. But what was so interesting, all of that, it really was a 90% BS. So everything Doc was saying was just trash, okay? Just trash, trash. It, it sounded good, but it was trash. He he actually got to a lead, though. We're going to do a little journalism sem seminar today. We've already talked about Sawatsky. Y'all good on that. So the lead is, the lead, what the lead is, the lead is essentially, why are we here? Why are you reading this story? Why is this news? So Doc's lead was at the very end, and that was, you know what? He's got four years left on his contract, 
and we can do what we want to do. That's the only true thing he said. That's the truth. Everything else, Ben talking to other guys on the team, and we can make this work, and we respect Ben, and we want him here. That's a lie. No, you don't want him. You don't want him there anymore. He doesn't want to be there anymore, and it's probably untenable for him to return. But you think the hammer you have, and I tend to agree, the hammer that you have is a four-year contract, and you can control where he goes. The only thing we don't know, Mike, and the only thing we don't know is how dug in is Ben Simmons when it comes to that four-year contract. Most people in any profession, professional sports or the plumber down the street, most people tend to say, I'm going to work when you mess with their money for too long. So th that's the question. Can Ben Simmons handle it when we're in November and December and he's still not getting paid and possibly uh, continues to be fined by the Philadelphia 76ers? Yeah, yeah, we'll see if, uh, you know, never, not, I'm not want to count another man's money, uh, but we'll see if, if, if it starts affecting his pockets, it starts hurting his pockets, or if his, if his peace of mind is actually priceless. You know whose pockets are not hurt by a $50,000 fine? That's Joe Lacob, <laughs> all right? Like, right. that's literally right. pocket change for Joe Lacob, the Warriors governor, right? So Joe Lacob yesterday got fined for reverse tampering, not tampering, reverse tampering. Like it's like anti-tampering rules. Like, no, he anti-tampered with Ben Simmons because he told uh, the San Francisco Chronicle, I believe it was. He said that the often rumored Simmer Simmons trade to Golden State, the discussed trade to Golden State. And as a matter of fact, if I if I recall, we ended a, a previous Simmons conversation debating who we would rather yeah. between the two of us. You wanted Ben Simmons. I said, give me Draymond Green, but not to not, yeah. I digress. I digress. But right. so right. coincidentally, right. Joe Lacob tells the Chronicle that this trade quote doesn't really fit what we're doing. He makes a lot of money and can he finish games? I don't know. So the league hit him with a $50,000 tampering fine. And I say it's money well spent. And here's why. Two reasons. Yeah. One, Daryl Morey, you ain't about to use the Warriors, says Joe Lacob. You ain't about to be out here using the Warriors as leverage. You ain't about to float right. or, 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 or in conversations suggest that you got another buy over here. No, nah, we ain't in the Simmons business, okay? Because the same problems you have with him, we have those same problems. We see those same things you see, except the difference between us, says Joe Lacob, and you, Philadelphia 76ers, is we ain't paying him for them four years. And we don't want to pay him for them four years, given how much money we already paying. That's your problem, okay? You made that mess. You made that bed. You got to sleep in it. So it's money well spent because let's just make this clear, says Joe Lacob. We ain't in on Ben Simmons. He doesn't fit what we're doing. So y'all can stop with this warrior speculation about us giving up picks and Draymond and our young players. Mm -mm, we're good. We're all set. Okay. That's one. Two is money well spent because it's a reminder to Daryl Morey in public that this player is not what you're making him out to be. Or to your point, Michael Holly, mm. he's not okay. what you're making him out to be Doc Rivers. Because yes, he, see, I mean, what, I, what jumped out to me in listening to that interview with Rich again is, oh, so now he's Dennis Rodman? 
now he's Ben Wallace? Like, yeah, he making it oh, worse. I, know, I, I, I making it worse. He making I don't it worse, remember those guys playing comparison. point guard. I don't remember those guys right. playing point guard. And they were and they and they knew their job was not to shoot. There was not scoring. Right. And as good a defender as Ben Simmons is, and I get Doc's point. He's talking about things that don't show up in the box score. I get Doc's point. Right. I but as good a defender right, as right, Ben right. Simmons is, to quote Robin Harris, and I think we did this the other day, if you have a dream of thinking you as good as Dennis Rodman or Ben Wallace, you better wake up and apologize. Okay? Let's start with that. Okay? Defensively. 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 Right. Okay? Defensively. Of course. Uh, well, we're not talking about offense because that's the point. <laughs> okay? So, anyway, um, and he's a great passer. He's a, the kid's a great passer. He's athletic. He's versatile. He does do a lot of things well. But if he did those he things so well, when somebody asked you when you had the opportunity to stand by your man, where Stevie, shout out to Stevie That's Wonder, right. where were you when I needed you last winter? Okay, last winter. when yeah. you had an opportunity yeah. to stand by your man when they said flat out, is he a point guard on the championship team? I don't know the answer to that. Doesn't matter what you say after that. Doesn't matter what you say yesterday. Because right now what Doc is saying is what he's probably convinced himself to actually feel. I'm not saying Doc's lying as much as Doc has come around to feeling like, you know what? I'm going to love the one I'm with. I got to coach the guys who are here. I got a better chance of having Ben Simmons and getting a number one seed yeah. like we did last year in the regular season than I do if Ben Simmons is at home collecting fines or suspended. So it's in my best interest to say my name is Paul. That's between y'all as in you and Daryl Morey. I want you here, Ben. But you showed him better than you can tell him when you had the opportunity. And like I said before, if they'd ask him, can he be the point guard on the second round team that loses in seven games when he does when your point guard doesn't shoot? He probably be like, oh, yeah, but he told the truth. He told the truth. Joe Lacob told the truth and got fined for it. Doc Rivers told the truth, and now he has to try to clean up on aisle six. And so well, I thought yeah, the Joe Lacob story was Doc fascinating because at the end of the day, that is 50 grand that needed to be spent because it needed to be said. We are not in the Ben Simmons business, and the Sixers and Daryl Moore need to wake up and realize that they have a problem that they're going to have to solve for themselves. Nobody's going to give them this boatload of picks that they think they should get because Ben Simmons has the profile of a franchise player or the contract of a franchise player. If he were so, so valuable, so move, move if he were worth so much, they then. would be keeping him. Yes. Based on Joe Lacob, unless Joe Lacob is, is just lying, uh, move the Warriors out. They got to go down to Raptors territory, 2,500, plus 2,500. But, you know, I do want to point out, though, that Joe Lacob, see, that's what I would do. If I'm Ben Simmons, I'm inspired by Joe Lacob. And, see, Ben, Simmons needs somebody who will tell him some some hard truths, okay? Uh, Philadelphia tried to do that too late. You can't do that. You can't just, just like, note to employers. Note to employers. This is for free. I'll give you this tip for free. Uh, everything else, I'm going to charge you for it. But, any employer, if you have a problematic employee and you enable that problematic employee, you've totally screwed up because when it's time inevitably to discipline them, it's not going to work because you've enabled them so long that now you have lost any kind of credibility when it comes to telling them the truth. So the, the Sixers just screwed up from the start of just trying to coddle him and saying all these things about, hey, you know, he can do this, he can do that. Now, yeah, sure he can, but he also struggles with shooting. But I would say this. If I'm, if I'm a, a friend of Ben Simmons and he listens to me when I tell him the truth, I say, look, look at the Warriors. 
Look at Draymond Green. Draymond Green takes threes. Draymond Green takes threes with impunity. And it don't, oh my it God. don't even cross. It don't, I, ain't scared it don't to even miss. cross his mind. Ain't scared. And you Wh- know what? My man, way off. my man hasn't shot. He hasn't shot 30% from three in three years. Last year, he shot like yeah. 28% for three, three point range. The other year, 27%. But he's shooting it. So go ahead and shoot. If, if Draymond can stay on the floor and be a threat as a 27% three point shooter, you mean to tell me you can't make 27% of your threes or 30% of your threes? Go well, ahead and some, take it. Somebody once told take me more than you make 10. 100. You, you, Somebody told me you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Let me ask you this since we're in, uh, in, the, in the place of uh, we, we're talking about solutions. Amin Al Hassan, friend of the show, Amin Al Hassan, Metal Arc Media. Uh, I thought I heard something he said that was interesting. Uh, I think it was on Sirius uh, NBA Radio the other day. Check this out. I always say that the best way to get traded is not to sit out, the best way to get traded is to show up and be an absolute jackass Jimmy Just Butler style Minnesota Jimmy Butler James Harden in Houston where they're like we're prepared for it to get uncomfortable and James Harden's like okay and he plays so bad you got DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall in the postgame press it's like what are we doing here if he doesn't want to play don't play him so like that's the way to get traded by not showing up you help the team by like I said earlier being like Augustus Hill and Oz and saying I'm not I have no hope I'd rather live with no hope of you walking through that door than to sit there and hear every time the door opens, is it Ben? Oh, no, it's someone else. Like They're better off moving forward off of that. Yeah, I respectfully disagree because maybe that's Jimmy Butler's playbook. Maybe that's James Harden's playbook. But I think what we've come to realize is that's not who Ben Simmons is. He does not have the type of personality conducive to being a jackass. He's not going to show up and show his ass. He's not doing that. Like, if you, because if he was, because it's not that Ben Simmons doesn't want to be there. Right. It's that he doesn't want to be where he isn't wanted. What was I about to say? What was I about to say? What? No, I thought you were going to say that's not his personality because I I thought you were going to say, if he showed up and did that, then that's the personality we of the guy that Philadelphia wants. That, that, that's what Correct. they want. Correct. We like, wouldn't be here. Guy, we would not be I here care. if he were built like that. Oh. If he were wired that way, right. we wouldn't be having this exactly. conversation. That's what they exactly. want. They want a dog. Exactly. They want, a, they want more yeah, of a, that's right. be more of a dog than he is. They'd be so like, oh, not go we ain't trade you now. Now we really ain't going to trade you. You can be an a-hole. Right. You can say WTF. <laughs> Oh, Where was this? Great. Well, I, not well, I didn't know you had it like this, Ben. <laughs> this is all it took to bring it out of you. <laughs> my God. Saying, my dude. I keep saying there's something to be said. And Gary, we can go to break now. We got company waiting, so we shouldn't keep the lady waiting much longer. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, if it's okay that he's not built that way, that's okay. That's, that, that's, that's fine. Everybody ain't made for that, you know? But he's not the type to go in and be uncomfortable. This is this is how he needs to approach this, and I and I I, I respect it. I actually I honestly respect it. He cannot go back to Philadelphia, so I don't think he's making it easy on the team by not going. I think by 
not going. He has decided, I'm going to take control of the situation myself. I'm not going to let you control my situation. I'm going to do what's best for me. And I respect it. This is, listen, he, I respect his conviction. Have that conviction on the court and we're good. Not going back. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but we got playoff basketball tonight, baby. And it is winner go home from the jump. The WNBA's 25th season, the playoffs kick off, uh, tip off tonight, excuse me. We got the Dallas Wings at the Chicago Sky, and we got the New York Liberty at the Phoenix Mercury. Single elimination mm-hmm. game in round one. Mm. Followed by the same in round two, if I'm not mistaken. And then they go to series in the semifinals and the finals. Um, to help us break this down is a very special friend of mine, an old friend of mine. I haven't seen her since she was on the other side of the glass for the His and Hers podcast back in the day. So if my family is here, Tarika Foster Brasby, who was just Tarika Foster last time I talked to her. So a lot's changed Thanks. for me and you. It is life, life moves hey. fast. It's, it's so good to see you. Uh, catch her on the Around the Rim podcast, The Undefeated. And you just so happen to be a homer for purposes of this conversation. As in, you are one of the in-arena hosts for the Connecticut Sun. And this is your first year doing mm. that, if I'm not mistaken. So that's why they won 14 straight in order number one seed. You're, you're the Duh. reason. Your, your energy it was me. is why the Connecticut Sun. Uh, it was absolutely me. I'm the sole reason for Connecticut's success. It has nothing to do with John Crow Jones or any of that. It's all me. Not their rebounding all to Rika. <laughs> Makes total sense. Uh, but no, I want to start with I want to start with the single elimination, though, first, if you don't mind. I mean, it's obviously it, it makes for drama, but that format does have a lot of critics in terms of like, look, if the idea is to get people invested in these playoff teams, these stories, these individuals, these games, because a series can be like a mini season in and of itself that you should extend the first and second rounds to at least three game series, maybe not five, but at least three game series, instead of these teams being gone before you really got a chance to get to know them as fans and as viewers. What do, what do you say about the format? You you at home enjoying a double buyer right now. Your squad's at home chilling, waiting for people to get <laughs> to the third round. But how do you feel about the format of single elimination in the first two rounds? Well, yeah, I would say to those people that, you know, they must not have been watching the WNBA very often because we had that format. The league had that format in the beginning at first. And now you can see that the excitement around the playoffs has actually excelled with the single elimination. The whole point is that you need to take care of business during the regular season. You take care of business during the regular season. You put your team in a position to be at home chilling for nine, 10 days until you get to the semifinals, the home court advantages that come with that, the ability to rest your players that come with that. But if you don't take care business you then put yourself in a a very very much like an ncaa kind of situation where you got to win win or go home and and it's just that simple and so you know tonight we're going to see some teams that have positioned themselves to make the playoffs but they're also put themselves in a position where they have to win or they will be going home and it's going to be interesting and a lot of fun to see now now look i know we won't see the connecticut sun your connecticut sun we'll call them yours now I know we won't hey, see them I'm cool with that. for a while. <laughs> That's right. We won't see them for a while. 
So I got to have somebody to root for in the meantime. And I have just, I have decided to jump all on the bandwagon of the Phoenix Mercury. Uh, I love the Mercury. I think that that's my sleeper. That's my sleeper to get very far, if not to win the whole thing. A sleeper. Sorry. How do you sleeper? Yeah. Well, let, they got hey, added to Rossi, Brittany Griner, and Skylar Diggins Smith. Who's sleeping on Phoenix? Can I tell you why they're a sleeper? Is your name Tamika? Anyway, um, uh, so <laughs> I'm just saying. Hey, hey, sleeper. Hey, they're a sleeper. Why they're a sleeper? Because they ain't got a double buy like the Connecticut Sun. <laughs> they got to come out. They got to travel a long road to get all the way to the finals. But. How do you feel about uh, how do you feel about the Mercury and what do you think of their their chances for the for the chip? Well, I will say this: I wouldn't put them in the sleeper category because, again, when you got arguably the goat on your squad and Diana Taurasi, Skylar Diggins Smith has played extremely well, um, but. Diana has not been healthy. Like, Diana has missed the last four games of the season, and that's going to be big. Now, they do got BG. You know, she's playing very well defensively. She's got more dunks this season than she has in any other season. She's, again, leading the league in rebounds, leading the, a career high um, in, in blocks. It's just it, she in itself is enough to get this team far in the playoffs. But if they don't have Diana, if she's not healthy and she's been out due to an ankle injury, that's going to cause some problems later on down the line when they have to potentially see either a Connecticut team or a Las Vegas team. So I wouldn't necessarily say sleeper, but they do have enough to get out of this first round, that's for sure. But I, I mean, and that, again, will depend on how New York comes out of the gate tonight. They're another team that for God knows how they made the playoffs is because nobody else wanted it. That's clearly how it is because they should have. <laughs> they were the third team in line. I mean, seriously, you got an HC that is literally up for grabs, and all you have to do is win, and it's yours. Right. And instead, Washington says, no, nah, never mind. I'll pass it on to L.A. L.A. says, no, nah, never mind. We'll pass it on to New York. So here we are. <laughs> Who do you like tonight and why? I like Dallas. I like Dallas. I like Dallas tonight, and I like them because they literally are a team that literally has nothing to lose. They're the number seven seed. They're going to be going up against Chicago. And as much as we like to think that Chicago, being the more experienced team, you've got former MVP, two-time MVP Candace Parker on your team. Um, you know, she's got that championship pedigree. That's exactly why they brought her there. But Chicago's a team that really you can't figure out right now. On paper, they should be the favorite in this game. And I think they are the favorite in this game, but they've got some things stacked against them. They played abysmal at home. They're five and nine. So home court advantage means nothing for them. Um, even though they've gotten what we, you know, could arguably say the best passer in the league and Courtney Vandersloot on their squad, Kalia Coppers play defensively sound all season. They still have not quite figured out which Chicago team is going to show up. So when you've got a team like that, who's got tons of pressure against a team like Dallas, who has no pressure against uh, Arike Ngumbawale, who knows how to show up big when it counts, who took the all-star MVP nod in her first year having it this year. And I don't have to remind anybody who's followed that she knows how to hit the big shot. She did it at UConn. I'm sorry. She did it at Notre Dame against UConn. And she did it again the next night against Mississippi State to give Notre Dame the championship. So we know Arike knows how to show up. Um, if Satsusavali can play and hold down the post presence, if Marina Mabry can come out and play as phenomenal as she played 
played the last 13 games of the season, who she's in the conversation for most improved player, even though I think that's going to go to Brianna Jones. Seriously, they're the team. If you're talking about a sleeper, talking about a sleeper, Mike, that's your sleeper right there. Okay, okay. Um, as objectively as you can be, again, your son yeah. are chilling, chilling back, relaxing, maxing all cool, uh, with, with a double bye into the second round, best of five, uh, second round and best of five uh, finals, of course. So objectively, though, as you can be, Tarika, as objective sure. as you can be, why are the Sun going to win this thing? Well, you said it. I didn't that they're going to win this thing. So <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> but no, honestly, Connecticut has everything that they need right now. They remind me a lot, and I've said this before. They remind me a lot of the 2014 Pistons because I'm um, uh, the 2004 Pistons because they have every little piece that can show up at any given moment. On that 04 Pistons team, you don't know who was going to kill you at any moment. Could have been Ben. Could have been Rip. Could have been Chauncey. Any of them. That's the same that I see in Connecticut. You don't know who's going to kill you at what moment. You can prepare for John Quill Jones, but all that does is leave the door open for Dewana Bonner, who we know has played offensively sound her entire career. But now this defensive identity as Connecticut has made her step her defensive game up. And so she's killing you on both sides of the court. And if you think you've got John Quill and you think you've got DB, you still got Brianna Jones, who in my opinion is the is the has to be the most improved player this year. We saw her step her game up last year in the bubble, but this season she had to play alongside John Quill Jones and she proved that she can do that. Then you still have Brian January. Again, championship pedigree. She knows how to play defensively sound. Jasmine Jones, nobody's got uh, Jasmine Thomas. Nobody's going to think that Jasmine Thomas is the, the point guard that can lead a team, but she's shown day in and day out that she can do it. Kirk Miller has developed this team beyond measure and there's no reason um, that they shouldn't be able to take the championship home. There's going to be some teams that have something to say about it, of course, but I think if there's any year that Vegas, that door is open yeah. for them, it's this one. Yeah. All right, Tarika, get ready. Get ready. I'm about to put you on the spot. And oh, Lord. Gonna have to, I'm going to put you on the spot. You're going to have to narrow it down. You have to you can only pick one, not, not one yeah. of these. Hey, there are a lot of people who are worthy of that crown. Okay. Uh, as Mike mentioned off the top, WNBA in its 25th season, the announcement came out the 25 greatest players in WNBA history, some of them current. We got some formers, obviously. Give me the GOAT. Who is okay. the GOAT in All WNBA right, history? Have... Be current. Who is it? One player. Cynthia Cooper. Point blank, period, in my opinion. It is Cynthia Cooper. This woman... Amazing. She's in her 30s when she comes to the WNBA. She spent plenty of time playing overseas before she even got to the WNBA. Most people's bodies would quit on them about five years after. She didn't. She came straight to the league in her 30s, won four championships, won four finals MVPs. What, who, who gonna check who? nobody's checking Coop, okay? And so, mm. it, to me, it, it doesn't, and I know a lot of people have this recency bias right now where they're looking at what's happening around the league now. There are those who are going to argue that the league has evolved since then, and it has. The talent level, the skill set, it absolutely has evolved. But what Coop did in like five years, people are still trying to do in their careers over 10 to 12, all right? So, 
Don't come for me in my mentions. I'm telling you, I'm a, I got you that said, smoke for you. It's cool. <laughs> you said what you said. You said what you said. Right. And you know what? You know what I love about that answer, Tarika, just to bring this full circle? That reminds me of your story. Like, I, you know, most people may not know this when they listen to you on Around the Rim or read you in the Undefeated, you know, like that you've been grinding for a while. It's really good to see you doing your thing. I really am proud of you. Uh, but I got to ask you a favor. I need you to be the plug. I'm right down the road from Mohegan Sun now. I, I mean, can I, can, I, can a brother get, can a brother say courtside or what? Can I, can I get some courtside love? Oh, wow. Can I get some courtside listen, love listen, in the playoffs or what? Listen, What's up? listen, I can't, I can't make any promises, but I'm going to see what I can do because you're my boy and you, you've been holding me down for a long time, Mike. So I'm going to see what I can do, you know. The number's still the same. The number's still the same. Ain't nothing changed oh, but my man. change. All right. That's it. That's it. <laughs> all right, Tarika Foster Brasby. Uh, we appreciate you so much. Thanks for getting us set. You made us smarter. Looking at looking ahead to these playoffs and seeing hey. if uh, Michael Holly's sleeper Phoenix Mercury sleeper. can uh, you sleeper. Know, sleeper sleeper sleeper. Thanks, guys. Nobody, nobody's nobody talking about him. She knows sports. Nobody. She knows sports. Hey, we Mike, appreciate nobody's you. talking about him. <laughs> exactly. 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 They're flying under the radar. I don't know uh, Urban Meyer at all, really. I met him the other day. You know, shook his hand before the game and after the game, and and his comment to me was, "Every week, it's like playing Alabama in the NFL." You know, and that's that's it. Everybody's capable of beating everybody in this league. See, let that be a lesson to you, everybody. You can't tell everybody everything. You can't tell everybody your business. Okay, you can't just be saying stuff because then it gets out and now it's not helping your cause. You're already putting out statements telling the fans to stick with you after two weeks. There's reports about the dysfunction, and now you got big fans. You're putting your own blast. Like you sound like an amateur, Alabama every week. Well, what did you think it was going to be, Urban Meyer? What exactly did you think it was going to be, uh, Chris Sims? I think it's going to be a great conversation on a Thursday. It is good to see you, my brother. Um, I would like to start, if y'all would, if y'all don't mind, with Michael Holly's uh, biggest story of Week Three, and that is Justin Fields assuming the starting position. For the Bears, thanks to Andy Dalton's knee injury, I don't think Andy Dalton's getting that job back. Uh, but here's what Justin Fields had to say before we hear from you, Chris Sims. I think I had a good idea that I was, you know, uh, might possibly start. So I wasn't really surprised by it. But um, you know, just just uh, just kind of focused and you know, uh, just trying to get prepared for Sunday. How ready are you for this stage and this opportunity? I think I'm ready. You know, um, you know, of course. Uh, I've been preparing for this moment a long time, so uh, my mindset doesn't change. I'm still gonna, you know, uh, play play like football and just prepare uh, the best I can, like I said before, and just, you know, uh, get a lot of practice reps in and just uh, study, 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 and you know, just just get more comfortable and more confident with the plays and, and stuff like that. Sam's, what do you expect out of the gate for Justin Fields? I think. I mean, I'm with you, you know, Michael Smith. I'm with you. I, I don't think Andy Dalton's going to see the field again. You know, you, you know me. I've been one banging on the table to say, like, they should start Justin Fields from the get-go. You know, I know they're playing the Cleveland Browns, right, this weekend. And I've heard some people go, like, 
oh man, it's the Browns. It's going to be a tough spot. I look at it and go, no, I don't. The Browns defense hasn't been very good so far. Mahomes and company dice them up the whole game. I mean, damn, if Tyrod Taylor doesn't get hurt last week, I I mean, that's going to be a nail-biter whether Mm -hmm. they win that game or not. Mm -hmm. So I look at it from that standpoint, let alone like, hey, like we've talked about before, we know what the Bears' offense is. We've seen it twice, two weeks in a row. It's not that special with a quarterback like Andy Dalton. Now you're going to get like some game plan advantage on Cleveland to go, wait, we got to worry about the quarterback design runs. We don't know exactly how they're going to use them and what they're going to do and what's in their bag of tricks, you know, to screw over our defense. I think that's going to give that offense a little life there in Chicago. And I think it is going to make life hard on the Cleveland defense, you know, and and also, like I've said before, too, you know, the Cleveland pass defense is not real good. So now you got to worry about stopping him running the ball, which, like, let's not get messed up here. This dude is special running the football. You know, it's Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray type of athlete we're talking here. And it'll lead to vanilla looks in the passing game to give him confidence and get completions that way. So do I expect it to be perfect? Of course not. He's a rookie in the NFL on the road in Cleveland. But I think ultimately it's his job from here on out. And here we go, Chicago. And, you know, I want to get your take on... Forget about going forward a couple of days. I want to get your take on tonight. I am intrigued. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, Brother Sims. I'm intrigued by the Carolina Panthers. I think their defense is terrific. Uh, I, I think we we talk a lot about college coaches. So on one side, there's Urban Meyer going from college to the pros, and I'm a little skeptical. But Matt Rule has not only done a great job in Carolina, he has made great selections uh, on his coaching staff. Bringing in Joe Brady, I think, was genius. What do you expect from the Carolina Panthers tonight? Well, I've been trying to tell people about the Carolina Panthers. I picked the Carolina Panthers to go to the playoffs before the year started. Whoa. They got all... Yeah, I know. I saw your reaction there, right there, Michael Holly. Like, wow. But I think what you're going to see here is... They got everything on the team. Yeah, it's a little young, and they haven't, you know, they're not battle-tested yet. But on both sides of the ball, they got really good fronts. Their defensive front is special. Their defensive talent is special in general. And they got scheme and creativity on both sides of the ball. So they don't have to just play one style. You know, offensively, they can play some smash mouth. Let's run the ball with Christian McCaffrey. And then to like what you said, then they can drop back with Joe Brady and like that Sean Payton New Orleans system and dice you up in the pass game with legit weapons. McCaffrey out of the backfield. You know, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore is a superstar. For me, he's one of the five best receivers in football. You know, pretty good tight end. Terrace Marshall is your third receiver, second round pick at LSU. So I don't think this is going anywhere. And that rule... I think even though I know he started and got his name in college, he's always been an NFL coach. He's very close to Bill Parcells. He coached with the New York Giants. I think even when he was coaching in college, he was always trying to coach and think about the NFL life and style and how, that, how his game will translate there. So I'm not shocked by this. I'm not. And they've done an unbelievable job of building the roster down there. But man... When you look at their team in some areas, 
I mean, you just go, wait, it, it's, it's a lot of super freaks all over the place. And I, I mean that respectfully. Yeah, you said that. You said a lot there, but one name you didn't mention was the 24-year-old veteran quarterback. And that's Sam Darnold. What are you seeing from him? Because this is, this is an inspirational story, if you really think about it, because a lot of people had written him off. Maybe even Carolina didn't think they'd get this from Sam Darnold because they didn't give up all that much to get him. What are you seeing from Sam Darnold after two games? Well, it's like the same old adage you guys hear me say a lot of the time. Like, it's not always about the quarterback. I mean, I don't, I don't care. You put any quarterback you want in the Jets the last few years when Sam Darnold was there. It, it was going to be crap. I don't care who you want to put there. You want to put Mahomes or Brady or whatever. There's not enough there to help any quarterback out when Sam Darnold was with the Jets. You know, the, 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 the coaching wasn't great. The talent wasn't great. It's the perfect system fit. You know, as far as what he's good at. He is really good at, you know, kind of that Drew Brees, Saints type of stuff. Like, he's an amazing intermediate thrower, 5, 10, 15 yards. He's got an incredibly quick release, and he's very accurate with there. And then, you know, just like you saw in the highlights, he's got enough ability to throw a 55, 60-yard bomb over the top and, and stretch a defense out that way as well. You know, you see the bootlegs. He's a good athlete. He moves in the pocket. This is why before the year, I was trying to tell people, like, Sam Darnold's good. You know, it's not always about the quarterback. Again, Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl. The Broncos won a Super Bowl in 2015 with the worst quarterback in the league. I know it was Peyton Manning, who's maybe the greatest quarterback ever, but that year he was not good, and that's why he retired. He had nine touchdowns and 17 interceptions. We've seen Blake Bortles in the AFC Championship game. We've seen Nick Foles win a Super Bowl. It's got to have the right support around you. And sometimes we write the story just too quickly. And I just think this was a good fresh start for Sam Darnold. He's got talent. And now he's got a team around you that, you know, hey, now we can accentuate his talent and see what he's really about. I think it's a great story. Um storyline tonight. I'm fascinated by Panthers Texans on a Thursday night because if David Tepper and the Panthers organization had its way, the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers would be Deshaun Watson. Instead, Deshaun Watson is in limbo uh, and inactive for the Texans, who, as you mentioned, looked pretty competitive against Cleveland last week after they won the opener against Jacksonville held a Texas could be 2-0 if not for the injury to Tyrod Taylor. So this is one of those, you know, this article, which was great from uh, from Scott Foster, uh, Scott Fowler, I beg, beg your pardon, um, talking about unanswered prayers or in football is sometimes the best trades are the ones you don't make. But, I, but honestly, I really want to focus now, Chris, on the Texan side because this is a guy that I don't think we talked about with you pre-draft. I'm, not sure, I'm sure you did break him down somewhere. I haven't heard your breakdown. I'm actually, actually interested in Davis Mills. Uh, highly touted high school prospect. Uh, flashed at Stanford. He's that prototypical or throwback, I guess, now. Big, big arm pocket quarterback. You know, third round pick, which is not cheap. I'd love to know what you saw from him pre-draft in your evaluations what you saw from him in the preseason and in limited action in week two and what we can realistically expect from him because the Texans are trying to find out if he could potentially be their quarterback of the future. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll be the first to tell you I misevaluated the Texans going into the season. You know, I think once I, I, I took a little too much or put a little too much stock in just the drama and dysfunction with the Deshaun Watson thing and not enough into like, man, Nick Casario has built a roster of like, like real pros who have been there and done that. It might not be superstars, right? But it's a roster of a bunch of B-plus players. And I don't mean to say that disrespectfully. I just mean there's no superstar that jumps out on either side. But they got a coaching staff who's been around the NFL. I've been impressed with the offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly. You know, Lovey Smith on the defensive side of the ball. His defense is sound and always well coached. So I've liked all of that. You know, Davis Mills, as far as his breakdown, hey, I, I, I like didn't love Davis Mills. But the one thing I always said is he's pro-ready. Like, he is pro-ready. He is, like you're saying, that old, the old prototype of what we saw in the NFL. He's going to understand to stay in the pocket, appropriate throws, knows how to read the defense and go to the right spot with the ball. You know, he's a, like, a, a good athlete. You know, it's not like, wow, he's going to turn the corner for a 30-yard game. But he's going to be able to get out of the pocket a little and make some throws that way. You know, to me, he's like that guy that's a borderline backup, career backup, maybe a starter. I got to see a little bit more to, 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 you know, really put a stamp on it. Like right now, I still want to say I think he's a really high-end career backup just because I don't know if there is like enough of that, that big-time talent like we're talking about. The arm is good, Michael Smith, but it's not like – oh man, he's going to throw lasers all over the field. And if we got a few injuries or the offense isn't clicking that day, he can carry us and make some plays. No, he's going to need the right support system. But they will have a proper game plan tonight. They're just not going to be as talented as that team around them. And, you know, I I do think I give them a fighting chance is what I'm going to say. You know, I think this is a tough task, though, tonight with this defense and the style of the play, uh, the scheme they play. And as a rookie quarterback, it's never easy jumping in these situations. Okay, before we let you go, we're short on time. I want to try something. I'm, I'm inventing a segment on the spot, Chris Sims, all right? Uh-huh. I had all these names and we're oh running boy. out of time. We're going to try to do something here, all right? Oh boy. Small sample size, obviously. Small sample size of two games at the most. But we're going to play a game called One Sentence with Sims. So I don't need one word answers, but one sentence. Please don't put a lot of commas in that sentence because go, we're going to go fast, all right? You ready? So these are teams who are trying to figure out if, like, much like the Panthers with Darnold, who we already talked about, they were trying to figure out, like, is this veteran guy, could he be the answer at quarterback? And I'd love to hear what your impressions are of these guys real quick. All right, you ready? Taylor Heineke. Uh, a baller, like, knows how to play the game, but I'm not sold yet that he's your guy and should be your franchise quarterback. I need to see a little more. The injured Carson Wentz, who's not practicing and may not play this week. Concerned, you know, not being passed, you know, protected, but doesn't ever protect himself and plays too many plays like it's the last play of the game, and that's why he's always injured. Hmm. Jameis Winston. (sighs) Want to see more? Like, believe in his talent. You know, their team got their butt whooped last week, but I think they're working him in before they can trust him to throw the ball 30 and 35 times a game. Daniel Jones. 
Get off his freaking back. He was one of the best players on the field last week. Oh, whoa, he didn't throw one post route perfect down the middle. You can win with Daniel Jones. Their team's not that great. Stop trying to crap on the guy all the time. Teddy Bridgewater. Man, impressive. Like, my one thing with Teddy was, will he be aggressive to throw the ball down the way and so far throw the ball down the field and take advantage of these weapons? So far, it's been bombs away. Bridgewater, me likey. <laughs> Last one is Jalen Hurts. <laughs> good, I got you to laugh, finally. Uh, really good athlete, has all the charisma and the mentality to be a starting quarterback. I still need to see more from throwing in the pocket yep. and throwing in the tight windows against good defenses in the NFL. All right, small sample size. It's two games, but I really want to get your early impressions. That's good How about stuff. that hurry up offense? You like that, Chris? I like enjoyed that. Hurry up that. Offense? I enjoyed it. How about me? I mean, I, I, I actually got one him. sentence. I usually got a big mouth and can't do that. I was surprised I pulled it off. You did a, you <laughs> well, did a great it was, job. It was hey, one sentence and some semicolons in there. Not a lot of commas, some yeah. semicolons in there. I didn't, I didn't limit no, the punctuation. All right. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Hey man, good. Thank you so I don't. Much. I mean, semicolon. I don't even know how to do semicolons and commas when I do write. So that, <laughs> don't ask me that stuff. I'm not that damn smart. I'm not as smart as you two. <laughs> no, no, All you right, are. Man. And I tell you Appreciate who you're smart. You. Hey, hey, Sim. I tell you who you're smarter than. You're smarter than the Yankees. Oh, will they make the playoffs? <laughs> will they make the playoffs? We'll see. We're playing your Boston Red Sox this weekend, so oh, there's gonna be a lot of talking oh, next tomorrow. week. I know that. Tomorrow. Damn. I'm hey, hey, Man, Michael Smith, you have I'm clearly become my favorite person on this show, Michael Smith. By far. You're my new favorite, for sure. <laughs> Don't I answer your always phone. Been your favorite. Don't check your text. <laughs> Don't check your text. I'm coming um, at you. Hey, thank you, Chris. Hey, Michael Holly, you know who my favorite kicker is now? No. Yes, I said kicker. Daniel Carlson. Favorite I kicker. wish I had him on my fantasy team. I wish I had Vegas' Daniel Man, Carlson you need more on my than fantasy kicker. team. I you did. need more than a kick on your fantasy well, team. I will say I actually played against myself in fantasy this week in my own like friend group fantasy. Uh, and so that was tough because I, I took a loss. Um, and I definitely, definitely contributed to that. But, uh, no, so it, it's fun. I think fantasy is, is great. Um, you know, it just gets people kind of more involved in specific players and, you know, in football in general. So, um, you know, I have a lot of fun with, with, it, with my college friends and you know, a lot, a lot of people are messaging me and telling me, "Hey, you did great for me in fantasy." I was at a um, apple orchard the other day, and someone random guy came up to me and told me I did a great job for his fantasy team. So, yeah, I, I think people are very invested in their fantasy team, so I think that's great. You know, the fantasy story is great. I like the apple orchard detail. When the last time you been to apple orchard, Michael? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. We used to go all the time with the kids. It's been about right? three, four years. That's just so, so wholesome. That's, a, so, that's such a wholesome that's activity. Such a New England, it's such a New England thing to do, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Does Shelly Ann Fraser-Price join the three-time club? She's got a fight on her hands with the defending Olympic champion. It's all Jamaica. One, two, and three. Elaine Thompson, hurrah! 10.60, a new Olympic record! She becomes the second fastest 
after Flojo. It's time for the women's 200 meter final. Already a gold medal winner in these games and going for gold again, Elaine Thompson Harar of Jamaica. She's trying to create some history here tonight. She's trying to become the first woman to go back to back 100 and 200 meter goals at successive Olympic Games. Elaine Thompson Harar in lane seven. What can she do? She is devouring track in front of her. This is one of the best 200-meter turns I've ever seen. Thompson Hurrah and Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. And Gabby Thomas has a shot at a medal as well. Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, Gabby Thomas, they're going for it. Here comes the young Namibian, though. The Namibian teenager through, but Elaine Thompson Hurrah. Gold again. 21-53. Incredible. And she has got the double gold again. start for Shelly Ann Frazier Price Thompson hurrah Richardson being left behind and out in front the Olympic champion does it again 10.54 that is the second fastest time ever only Floto has run better and the Olympic champion reminds you why she is the twice now reigning Olympic champion Oh, man. Oh, my God. I, Michael, I don't know about you, man. I get chills watching that. And I'm telling you, we have been Love wanting it. to catch up with Elaine Thompson hurrah ever since the Prefontaine Classic. And as the rest of the world knows all too well, it is impossible to run down and catch up Jamaica's Elaine Thompson hurrah five-time Olympic champion Elaine Thompson hurrah second fastest woman in history and the fastest woman alive. It is so good to see you on brother from another. Thank you for taking the time. I, I want to go back to uh, the Olympics in Tokyo uh, when you uh, won the hundred and your reaction there. It said so much. And, and you obviously went on to become the first woman to to to, do, to win both sprint events and back to back Olympics. Can you talk about uh, Elaine the the journey from 2016 in Rio to 2021 in Tokyo, which wasn't always smooth, which wasn't always easy. What did you have to endure? What did you have to overcome? What did you have to improve to do what you did in Tokyo, especially given I think you were third at the Jamaican trials? Um, thank you guys for having me. So it's been a quite a journey for me, and it's been a it's my story pretty much, and it's been for the past five years. It's been ups and downs with this injury that I have been lingering for some time, and I mean it's been I have to be I think I'm a tough cookie. It's been it's been very hard for me to know that as a double Olympic champion. You want to keep on dominating on the field because my job is to entertain the world. My job is to be the best of my best version of myself and to just keep on doing what I love. And it's been a, a strange season this season too because you know we're still facing the global pandemic. And last season when we were supposed to have the Olympic, which has been cancelled, well postponed until this year. It gives me a better chance to prepare myself mentally, physically, and emotionally to come and defend my title. And, you know, I lost a couple major championships, which 
has been a big setback for me and I said to myself this season I'm going to be the most disciplined athlete ever and I put everything in place even though before the previous championship I had a little small injury which um, hampers me on my trials so I placed third in both events and I still never let that get to me I know what I have in store and what my plans are and I have written down all my affirmations, my goals that I want to achieve this season. And I think I achieve basically most of them. And I know that a person might want to hear my story, which I would love to share. And this is my story. And leading up to the Olympic, not knowing that I could go there and defend my title. After crossing that line, oh my God, the feeling is just... I just want to scream, I want to jump, I want to rejoice, I want to do everything to be the first woman to have done that. You know, I didn't care the time that I have run. I just want to win my title. And when I saw that 1060 flash time, I was say, OMG, I could not believe nothing <laughs> that happened. Like, I want to cry, I want to scream, I want to shout, I want to do so much thing. I could not believe I have done that. And it tells me that, no matter what you put your mind, your heart, your soul, you can do it. And I have worked for the past years for that. I work on so much stuff. I work on my start. I work on my curves. I work on everything. And I think this Tokyo, Tokyo was for me because I nailed it. Well, then you decide as an encore to go put up a 10-5-4, and we'll talk about Flojo in the pursuit of that record in a second, but I want to stay in that moment. So you had that priceless reaction in Tokyo when you won 100, and then your reaction when you realized you just put up the second fastest time ever, you're like, <gasps> like almost like, wait, did I just do that? Like, it was like, what were you feeling in that moment when you ran a 10-5-4 at, at Prefontaine? You know, coming after a major championship, your body is tired because I PB like I PB three times in that championship. I ran so much fast rounds. I flew across the world. I flew across from Italy to United States. So I probably think I might be jet lag. So not knowing that I have a ten five in the body, in the legs, I could have run it from the Olympics if I wasn't pointing ten five meters out before reaching the line. So to tell you that. It still was in me to run that 10 5, even at Olympics or at the pre Fontaine Classics. And I I just went out there with the same um, game face, that same mentality of competing and entertaining the crowd. And in the United States, my fellow Jamaicans are going to be there. It's closer to home. So being that I get that 10 5 and to be the fastest woman alive on that track, which is going to be the next World Championship, it's a good feeling for me. You know, Elaine, I, I always wonder when I watch a race like that, when I see you just dominate a race, I wonder when does she know? At what point in the race do you know that this is something special? I have it. I'm not just going to place. I'm going to do something incredible. When did you know or did you know during that race that it was something different? Honestly, I did not know. I'm not a perfect start. I know I finished very strong and I knew I was finishing very strong because I'm a person I don't normally train myself to watch the clock. It's me and myself against the clock. So normally when the time pops up, I sit on the board, not on the clock. So I didn't know the time until after because I saw my fellow um, 
Brianna came over and she, I said, why she was so excited? It's because she saw the time. I did not. So I did not know at that moment I could have done that because as I said, I know the stars is not really great, but I have to finish strong. So I know I finished very strong. All I wanted was just to win. That's all. <laughs> you know, Elaine, you said, you said earlier, and I love it when you said, you know, you have your affirmations, you have your preparation and uh, some of the goals that you have. And I'm wondering if, if one of your affirmations has something to do with being the fastest woman ever, because that 10.54 that Michael mentioned, now at 10.54, you see Flojo in 1988 at 10.49, and you said that after the race, I never thought that was possible, but now it's, it's, it's within reach. Is that the next major goal for you to, not only to match that, but to top it? Most definitely, because I can remember over the past years, journalists would have the question, do you think you can break the world record? I was like, hell no, I'm not in that reach. I just only like 10 sevens, I'm, I'm running 10 sevens. 10 six is nowhere near reach, of course. But to see myself running 10, 10 six three times this season, 10 five once, it's definitely in the reach. You know that it will take a lot of work, a lot of reset a lot of refocusing and to put everything together to get that 104 or to be probably lower than that it's going to take a lot of work and i'm ready to take on that journey of course i was talking to um sonia richards ross last night and uh, she was explaining to me how you do such an incredible job of consistently getting to top speed and maintaining your top speed the longest uh, you're also extremely poised and relaxed, uh, you know, those last, uh, that last stretch. To what would you attribute that in terms of your training or technique while you're able to get and maintain top speed? To kind of make us smarter about what makes you so great in these sprints. As I said, it takes practice. Exactly how I run in competition, exactly where I compete. Probably I get more, I, I put a lot of more effort in competing, but that's the exact way I, I compete. I, I'm not different in practice. If you see my videos that I post on my social media platform, it's the same way I run in training. Probably on the track on that day, I'm going faster, but nothing much has, has changed. That's how I train my body not to rush my phases. I always be very patient. I taught myself not to be stiff or too tight because that cuts a lot of the seconds and the time that you want to run. So I taught myself how to relax, how to control my nerve. I, I taught, I, I trained my nervous system that way. So it becomes easier for me over time by just doing that in the races. So as I said, you practice what you preach and I've done that in practice. So it's easier for me to do it in competition. So... I'm sure you know, and speaking of your training and your preparation, I'm sure you know that you sent shockwaves through the track world today with the, the news. And they say, hey, don't believe everything you read. So we're going to come right to the source. There are reports out there that you are parting ways with MVP Track Club and Coach Stephen Francis, and your husband is going to start training you. Can you confirm that? And if it's true, can you explain that decision making? You know what the news media is like. They're, they're, I'm the fastest one alive, so they're going to create some form of news to try to distract the world, you know. So it's rumors, of course, you know, rumors, wow. because I've seen wow. articles in the media that 
I've died before, more than once. So it's always rumors in the media. They always target me. I don't know why. Well, thank you for that. You're a good sport, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you handling that because it's like, thank you for clearing that up. Because I was like, damn. A lot of stuff. I mean, you know, because you, you, you just had the greatest season of your life. You know what I mean? I'm like, you were in the best shape of your life. Your coach was, you were in the best shape of your life going into Tokyo. I'm like, man, that's odd that she would make a change. So all of that stuff is just internet rumors. Don't pay no attention to it. No, you heard okay. it here from the source herself. Great. Thank you. Hey, do you e- Elaine, do you, and, and not, to, not to ask you to do anyone's job for them, but do you have any idea of how that that rumor could get started and take on such a life where it is being put out there as factual? Any idea of how it may have gotten to this point? You know, probably because I didn't show up at practice. I'm still on my experience, so, you know, probably person might be speculating why she's not at practice. But I mean, we just came back from international circuit and we normally get rest um, like a month or four week um, rest. I'm in my second week, so probably they're probably just assuming why I'm not in practice. You know, the word is like, I'm not in practice, so they're gonna just spread rumors to say, oh my, she's probably not coming back or, you know, stuff like that. The media- oh, what is that? Oh, what is I'm that? sorry, Mike. No, oh, I'm just, say, I was gonna sorry. ask Elaine. Go ahead. Pardon? Elaine, it's you, you. You have the floor. You have the floor, Elaine. You, you're gonna say oh, the something. Media, I always try to create a drama. You know, like I'm not in practice now. It's on my race. I'm doing my race time until October. I go back in practice, so they probably assume in our, you know, rumors. A lot of person probably hear something and doesn't hear it properly and say, okay, how is she not coming back or stuff like that? So they put it out there for the world to see. You know, the media is like that. I'm, I, the media, I'm telling you, can't, you can't, you can't trust them. You can't trust them, <laughs> Elaine. I'm te- take it from I don't us. Know about you can't these, trust these media people. <laughs> I don't, I don't, Elaine. I don't know about these journalists. I don't know about these journalists. Yeah. They don't, Oof, they don't make you, them man. like they don't make them like they used to. But I do want to ask you this because you bring up an excellent point, and you say that because you are the fastest, uh, fastest woman in the world, it get, you you have a lot of uh, attention. You're a five-time Olympian, Olympic champion. So people are really interested in what you're doing and what you're saying. How have you dealt with that rise? 2014, 2015, maybe you didn't see that coming. Now this is a new reality for you. How do you deal with that? I think I'm very strong. As I said, I'm a tough cookie. I don't let um, media or negative comments break me. I think sometimes they're more to motivate me than anything else. I... I let the smallest thing be my motivation. So um, you're going to be a, you're, I'm a celebrity now. I'm a superstar. I'm an international celebrity. So people are always going to try to create stuff for you to break, um, break you. And my job is to make sure myself is always on two foot standing, not one. So no one is ever going to try to break Elaine Thompson here because my main part is just continue my journey and the mission that I am on. So I don't let negativity break me or comments. I think I use them as my motivation. I've seen you say how you want to be motivation and inspiration for young people uh, in, in your in your journey, in your story, in your testimony. 
Can, do you have any examples of how you've been able to impact people? Like to Michael's point, like you know, you're the fastest woman alive now. Can't imagine what life like must be like you. What must be like for you in Jamaica? Um, like you know, can you give us an example of just how your story has maybe inspired the youth, or, or even some of your competitors, or some of your colleagues, for that matter? It just not inspire like colleagues or some people in sports. A lot of person reach out to me and say that. I inspire them by just the stuff that I post on the media after the Olympic where I post my my notes where I wrote down all my affirmations and I, I target those. So it helps working people itself as a person that whatever you put your mind to, whatever you if you write it down, say it and believe it, it will do happen. So it's not only the track world I motivate. I, I motivate a lot of persons sitting behind the decks working for hours and days and months. Even the carpenter, the the person that fix the mechanic, fix the cars, because you know a lot of persons are not that motivated because they think that because they're not doing their best, a lot of persons may not be pleased of their job that they're doing, and so for me to put my story out there, I know that inspires a lot of them. That anything you put your mind to, you can do it. Just just believe in it; it will happen. Since we're family now, Elaine, you know, we, we're all we're all tight and whatnot. You know, I wonder if I can ask you a personal question, if you don't mind, because I see you got an Olympic necklace. I, where do you keep your medals? Because if because if I was the fastest person alive, if I was the fastest man or woman alive, wearing it right now. I would wear them joints wearing every day. I'd have all four of them, all five of them every. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Which yeah. one is that? Oh, look at that. Which one is that? Um, it doesn't specify which one because all go look the same. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I have them in a trophy case downstairs in the living room. So I took this one out just in case you ask to see one. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I, I, do you do you, yeah. do you sleep with super, them? It's super heavy because it's on my neck and I have to hold it in my hands. It's heavy. The- do you sleep with them? I mean, you know, like what I, I would just I don't know that I would ever let them go. You know, <laughs> <laughs> these are my babies, but I don't sleep with them. I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's, 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 it's beautiful. I'll tell you, it's it's incredible. We, we talked about this, Elaine. Uh, this, this is the last thing I have for you. We talked about yeah. not just your speed, but the speed of the Jamaicans overall. I mean, you, there have been many one, two, three, where you're all, you're all right there leading, uh, leading the pack. Why is that? I mean, is it the competition? Is it the camaraderie? How is there so much success? Because I, you know, I'm starting to think, Elaine, because I can't run at all. I'm starting to think that if I spend some time there, you say I can accomplish my dreams, maybe I can increase my speed a little bit too. I think it's because of our culture, our, our small island of Jamaica is so blessed and we inspire each other. You know, Veronica Campbell Brown, Merlin Otty, they had set that barrier. So we continue to carry that flag raising, you know, and for us to get one, two, three at that Olympic, I am proud and happy to be a part of that history. You know, I've seen it done before, I think in 2008 or nine where they had done it before. So for me to be a part of this trio, I am so happy to know that 10 years later, I can look back and say, that's me. I was a part of that history. So 
I guess it's because of our culture and entertainment and sports. We tend to always try to be on the top and, you know, Usain Bolt has done it. So we just want our little small country to always be in that name call and on that barrier, of course. So for us to continue to raise that flag and to carry that barrier, it's a good feeling, you know, we leave, we leave that mark for the younger generations to come so we can, when we're whole and retired to watch, we can say, okay, they're, they're, they're leading the path just like what we, we, we left, them, left, left for them to do. Well, listen, uh, we know you are the pride of Jamaica, and you best believe that we are proud of you over here in the United States as well. We are proud of you. We've, we've, uh, we've enjoyed the show you put on in 2021. Let's not forget the Diamond League championship you just won. Uh, thank you so much for slowing down. We know you don't slow down. We know you move fast. Thank you for slowing down and spending some time on Brother from Another. You made our, hell, you made our year. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. You're welcome. And you're always welcome. You're always welcome yes. to come back too, Elaine. Okay. You got Anytime. your team. You got your team. Come on in. Definitely, I will. And don't come listen back. to the media. And don't no, listen no, to the no. media. Yeah, exactly. Ignore, ignore them. They don't, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. All these okay. rumors and whatnot. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. All right. You're welcome. Man. Well. Man. That was fun. That was fun, man. I, like, she was so. Now, she was lovely. Now just to, she was lovely. Yeah, she's great. She's great. And just to just to say, okay, now I just want to recap, Mike, and make sure we all we, we, we heard the same thing. You asked the question, are the are the rumors true about uh, Elaine Thompson hurrah splitting with MVP and her coach? Mm-hmm. And she says the rumors are not true. Yeah, so it's not true. So what well, we knew well, well, we knew that it probably wasn't true because bringing everybody inside the curtain like we like to MVP arranged that interview and this was scheduled a while back. She was scheduled to be on a show a while back. I hope that I wasn't perpetuating those rumors, but I mean, you and I both, you know, saw on the internet that yeah, the, the stories mean, were out there. So we just happened to have her and we were able to ask her. That was fun. That was a highlight in the history of brother from another. Um, and she was lovely was great. and deserves every bit of success that she's experienced. That was the fastest woman on the planet just now. Making time for little fastest old us. Fastest woman on the planet. Hanging out with us. How about that? Love it. I know, right? All right, bro. See you tomorrow, See you tomorrow. bro. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.